Welcome to the Enter the Bible podcast, where you can get answers or at least reflections on everything you wanted to know about the Bible, but were afraid to ask. I'm Katherine Schifferdecker. And I'm Katie Langston. And today on the podcast, we're doing another special lightning round. Cue sound effects. Um, in which we uh, have the opportunity to take um, just a few questions that have come in uh, on our website and try to answer them Um a little in sort of rapid succession, rapid-ish succession, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and if you, a gentle listener and or watcher on the YouTube, would like to um, submit your own question, you may do so by going to enterthebible.org. Uh, and we try to get to as many of the questions as we can. Uh, most of our episodes are uh, listener-submitted questions. So it's a great way to um, to participate uh, in this project and um, and uh, and get some answers to your questions in the process. So please do so. So we kind of uh, clumped three together that came in sort of as a theme uh, from several different listeners. So um, we'll take them in this order. One is, what do you look for in resources about women in the Bible? Second is, did God instruct Eve directly? not to eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge. And third is, what does the Bible say about female CEOs where male employees are working for them? So very, very intriguing questions. I'm excited to talk about them. Uh, so first, what do you look for in resources about women in the Bible? Catherine. <laughs> Well, what do you look for? What do you look? <laughs> well, you look for someone who's reliable, I suppose, an author that's reliable. Yeah. I, I assume that the person means like, can you suggest resources about women in the Bible? Uh, sure. Yeah. So I'll mention a few, and maybe you have some to add, Katie. I think. Um, well, first of all, if you like went to any online search engine, or if you went to Amazon or whatever you would find lots and lots of books on women in the Bible. Some of them, many of them, especially on Amazon, probably more devotional. Um, uh, and then many that are academic as well. Uh, and not that those two are mutually exclusive, but there's, you know, different um, uh, pr purposes uh, for each, I suppose. So uh, I, I'll probably, I, I'm going to talk a little more about the academic side because that's the one I'm more familiar with, but there are plenty of, really fine uh, devotional books on women in scripture uh, as well. But let me mention just a few uh, that that are uh, kind of more scholarly or academic. Um, probably the one that comes to mind first for me is a book called The Women's Bible Commentary, or WBC, it's sometimes abbreviated. Uh, it's say. published by Westminster yeah. John Knox Press, so Women's Bible Commentary. I think it's in the it's I know it's at least in the third edition, maybe even the fourth edition. So it's kind of been a, a, a really important uh, work uh, in the in the academic study of the Bible. Um, and it's it's it takes it has essays on women in scripture uh, and women in various uh, parts of the Bible. Um, and it has the main part of it is it has an essay, a long essay a chapter on each book of the Bible, kind of from a women's perspective or from a feminist perspective. This is a, a feminist biblical commentary, so they're trying to lift up 
the voices and the uh, people, um, the voices of women in scripture and the perspectives of women, uh, especially because often we don't hear that, uh, or at least you have to search a little bit uh, harder for women's perspective uh, in scripture than for men. So women's Bible commentaries, really uh, highly regarded and well researched uh, and a good book. Um, there's another book uh, called Women in Scripture. I'll hold it up here. It's a it's a thick, big book, uh, as is the Women's Bible Commentary. This is uh, a number of different scholars, but Carol Myers is the general editor, who's, again, very highly regarded uh, scholar. Uh, the subtitle is A Dictionary of Named and Unnamed Women in the Hebrew Bible, the Apocryphal Deuterocanonical Books, and the New Testament. So long subtitle, but it has <laughs> entries. Uh, it, it is as a, uh, a dictionary, so fairly short entries on various uh, things like the daughters of Hannah or the mother of Ichabod, wife of Phinehas, or uh, women attending the wife of Phinehas. So it's, you know, both named hmm. women and uh, unnamed women in the Bible. Uh, and it has brief entries on uh, all of those. So if you're looking for a kind of an exhaustive list of all the women in scripture. Uh, look at the book, Women in Scripture. Uh, and then two more I'll, I'll mention. Um, uh, women in the Bible is a recent publication uh, from 2020 uh, by Jamie Clark Souls. I do not have it uh, on me, but I would recommend that as well. It's, a, again, a recent publication, Women in the Bible. And then one that's really interesting is called Rediscovering Eve which relates to our second question in our lightning round. Yeah. Rediscovering Eve, uh, subtitle, Ancient Israelite Women in Context. So, uh, but that's also by Carol Myers. Um, the really interesting thing about this is it, it was first published, I think, in the late 1980s or 1990s, and it was called Discovering Eve. Uh, and so this is kind oh. of a re- uh, uh, a new edition called Rediscovering Eve. And the really interesting thing about this particular book is that it takes archaeological and anthropological Ooh, studies. That's cool. So it's not just the women talked about or mentioned in scripture, but it's also what Myers is trying to do there, Carol Myers, is to understand what the life of an everyday Israelite woman might have been uh, and yeah. and uh, looking at archaeological finds, like you know, what what did the what's how was the household constructed? What kind of tools do they find that women might have used? So it's it's a really interesting book. It's uh, from the title, obviously, ancient Israelite women in context is more uh, concerned with uh, Hebrew Bible or Old Testament uh, than New Testament, but obviously there's a lot of overlap there. So uh, so yeah, if you want to think about or discover cool. uh, what uh, the everyday women in biblical times might have been doing uh, and their role in society. I would highly recommend that. So those are the ones that come to mind for me. Yeah. So I kind of took this question a little bit um, more uh, theoretically. So it's like, what are you looking for in resources about like more like sure. broadly, what are the types of things that you would look for? Sure. Sounds good. So I think there's like, a few things um, that for me would be true of a resource, um, whether it's about women in the Bible or kind of anything, right? Is that first of all, I would look for a resource um, that um, takes seriously the biblical text mm -hmm. um, that, um, 
you know, I, I, I prefer um, resources that uh, are both thoughtful and faithful, right? So they're not afraid to like ask questions about the, the text, uh, kind of um, come from a, a starting point of acknowledging or, or um, believing that the, the Bible to be the word of God in a kind of very, um, in an important way, right? In a way in which it, you know, um, uh, matters <laughs> for our lives and you can't just toss out the parts that are hard to deal with and also is willing to deal with the parts that are hard to deal with and ask questions. And, and so that, that's, that's sort of the space that I like to look for in any sort of resource. Um, this question, like, uh, and we'll talk, we'll talk more about this on this episode, but sort of this question about, uh, women's roles in the Bible, women's roles in the church, women's roles in leadership. This is a fraught question. Um, and so there can be a lot of, uh, material out there that's, um, kind of, uh, coming from a particular almost political agenda. Uh, and, um, it's not that I, I won't read, those sorts of things, or I'm unwilling to engage with or think about or have conversations about those kinds of things. But um, I'm more interested in um, resources that, um, you know, that are, are, are willing to ask questions and aren't like super dogmatic on. So, you know what I'm saying? Like that sort of thing, which leads me to a question that I'm curious about to explore with you, Catherine, when, you know, you sort of mentioned that the first, um, the women's uh, Bible commentary was, you called it a feminist, it had kind of a feminist perspective. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Cause I think there's, um, uh, there are, there are ways of hearing this is, this comes from a feminist perspective or whatever that kind of has, uh, certain, um, implications for how the text is read. And I'm thinking particularly, I'm, Friends, I'm going to throw out kind of a big word here, and I'm very sorry. We'll we'll unpack it a little bit, but there's something called a hermeneutic of suspicion <laughs> that comes out of feminist and also womanist, which is um, looking at the text uh, not just from a women's standpoint, but from the perspective of women of color or people that are have been historically kind of oppressed peoples, and and there's this idea of reading the Bible with a little bit of suspicion to mm. say. You know, I don't know that that, you know, that 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 wasn't written for me or about, you know, that was written about me, but not by me, isn't written for me. Uh, and I'm going to be suspicious of the text. And so I wonder if if, if you would <laughs> maybe just share a few thoughts about reading the Bible uh, with that perspective and other alternatives, even as a woman that you might use to, you know, to unpack the text. Oh, that's a great question, Katie. Uh, yeah, the, so uh, feminist biblical scholars, there are a lot of them, a lot of really, really fine ones, um, and have and they've done us a great service in many ways of lifting up voices that we might not otherwise hear, such as, just as one example, uh, the voice of Hagar, Right, Sarah's mm. handmaid, so to you know, to use the King James version verse, the King James term, uh, right? That that uh, uh, Sarah gives Hagar to Abraham, uh, and there's all kinds of problematic things about that, uh, and she bears Ishmael. So, 
Um, so Hagar has been the focus of a lot of, for instance, womenist uh, biblical scholarship and feminist biblical scholarship. And so there's certainly some uh, some great treasures of feminist biblical scholarship that we would not otherwise get. I think uh, when we when we listen, when we read for and pay attention to these folks in scripture like Hagar, uh, who might not otherwise um, get much airtime, so to speak. Right. Um, so. So there's some great gifts of feminist biblical scholarship. I would probably not call myself a feminist biblical scholar, not because I dislike it, but because it's not the questions that interest me as much uh, as some yeah. others uh, that uh, that I, I like to pursue. Um, and because, as you say, feminist biblical scholarship operates out of a hermeneutic of suspicion hermeneutic just being a big seminary word for how you read something, uh, but particularly in this case, how you read scripture. Uh, and so a hermeneutic of suspicion approaches the text from, from a suspicious standpoint, right? Like, and, and may even read against the text or, uh, or um, and what do I mean by that? Uh, reading the text in a way that the text itself probably didn't, or the authors of the text didn't intend for it to be read. That's what I mean by reading against the text. Um, so that hermeneutic of suspicion, it doesn't take uh, the Bible at its word, you might, uh, or, or on, at face value, maybe that's a way of putting it. Uh, and, uh, and it asks hard questions um, and sometimes rejects parts of the text that just seem beyond uh, redemption, right? Uh, there's lots mm -hmm. of feminist uh, biblical scholars, particularly, I would say, in the 80s, 70s, 80s, uh, even the 90s, that really just rejected whole stories, whole parts of scripture as being anti-woman and not redeemable. And that's why I have trouble myself, yeah. just speaking personally, with with that kind of hermeneutic of suspicion, because I I like what you said earlier, Katie, that we uh, the 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 play the the kind of sweet spot, at least for me, where I where I feel like uh, I I can learn the most is uh, scholarship that is um, inquiring and critical and uh, and and you know Scott and you know using your brain and using your reason, but also faithful. Uh, in other words, right. also. Uh, holding up scripture as word of God uh, and uh, and and reading it uh, or at least trying hard to read it in such a way as not to ignore the hard parts, but also not to throw them out. So uh, to use the example of Jacob wrestling with the angel, right? The, I think that sweet spot yeah. is wrestling with the text until it yields a blessing. Because, yeah. you know, if you throw out everything that is uncomfortable or everything that is potentially uncomfortable, uh, you lose a lot of theological richness. And I would I would um, I'm thinking about some of the episodes we've already done, like with Ellen Davis or with John Levinson. Uh, I think with John right. Levinson, we talked about one of those really difficult texts, the, the Akedah, the binding of Isaac or the sacrifice right. of Isaac in Genesis 22. Right. Uh, you miss a lot of really deep theological riches if you just throw that out. So I yeah. I operate, I guess, more out of a hermeneutic of humility <laughs> before the text or a hermeneutic of generosity, trying to read generously yeah. 
uh, trying to put the best construction on what the text is saying. Yeah, I I remember when I came to seminary, uh, I was uh, I had um, I mean I I had completely deconstructed <laughs> to use like a word that's out there on Twitter or X or whatever it is now <laughs> that I'd completely deconstructed the faith tradition of my upbringing, which was Mormonism. For you know, I think most of you know that by now that I've talked about it enough on this podcast, but. I'd completely deconstructed it. I'd been like, oh, this I, this isn't true. And along with that, I, um, I I just wasn't sure what to do with the Bible at all. Because on the one hand, I still really believed, I mean, it was a, I was a jumble, right? I was a theological jumble, but I still really believed in God. And I'd had very profound experiences with Jesus, but also the Bible had been used in ways that were, uh, and other Mormon scriptures that they have that had been very hurtful to me and had been, um, used in um, kind of abusive and coercive ways. And so I, I was very <laughs> suspicious, you know, of the Bible. And I came to seminary. And one of the things that you said, Catherine, in our um, uh, kind of intro to Bible class was you talked about a hermeneutic of generosity, which isn't, again, it's not um, not asking questions. And it's not um, it's not, not wrestling with it or it's not unthinking. It's not not having problems with it even and being like, well, I don't like that. You know, like you're allowed to say, I don't like that. That doesn't make sense to me. What's going on here? Whatever. But at the end of the day, the question is, how could this be? How could this be good news? How could there be a blessing to be gained out of this? Um, and I have found just a sort of personal testimony I have found that operating from that perspective, I have yet to meet a text that I haven't been able to wrestle a blessing out of. I've yet to meet one. Um, now, you know, I haven't wrestled with every single passage in the Bible. I'm sure, I don't know, some of those Leviticus ones that we talked about with the Corey yeah, driver, yeah, yeah, yeah. like that those were hard, yeah. <laughs> you know. But but it's there to be found. And so, um, Anyway, this it has turned into a bit of a bigger conversation than just like, what do you look for in resources about women in the Bible? But for me, it sort of raised some of these kind of ancillary or additional questions about how do we approach scripture generally? Um, so, yeah, I yeah, think I think it's important little. to talk about that. So thanks for thanks for bringing that up. Katie. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so, yeah. So question two. Yeah. Let's, shall we? Let's do it. All right. So um, I'm going to let you answer this one because you are the Old Testament professor. <laughs> Did God instruct Eve directly not to eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge? All right. Well, I thought I thought he did. <laughs> but am I wrong? So this uh, the person who submitted this question and thank you to whoever submitted that question uh, is reading the text really closely. Uh, and so I commend them for that. Um, so here's, here's just the, the details. So we're looking at, uh, Genesis two and three, uh, just a few verses here. So, uh, Genesis two, uh, talks about the creation of, uh, Adam or Adam, uh, the Lord God, um, uh, creates, uh, Adam out of the dust of the ground and breathes, breathes into his nostrils, the breath of life. Then in verse 15, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. 
for in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. And then in the very next verse, uh, God says, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. Uh, so it does seem to be the case that God tells Adam or Adam, this earth creature, uh, this command before Eve is even created out of Adam's rib. So uh, in that sense, uh, it could the answer to this could be that no, God didn't instruct Eve directly. Uh you know, because because God gives the command and then Eve is uh, is created. However, in chapter three, you know, the serpent shows up and says, did God say, he says to Eve or the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Uh, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. So it's interesting that she adds that, you know, nor shall you touch mm. it because God just says, don't eat from it. Um, mm. So, so she knows the command, <laughs> whether she heard it directly from God or not, uh, is not, is a bit ambiguous. You know, it could be that Adam, according to the story that Adam tells Eve about the command, that seems the most likely explanation, but it could also be that God reiterates the command to Eve. The point is, she knows better and Adam knows better. Uh, yeah. And so I don't think, you know, what I sense from this question is, you know, because God didn't instruct Eve directly, then she doesn't bear any culpability for disobeying the commandment. I don't think you can really make that argument because obviously she knows the commandment uh, and she goes ahead and eats and Adam eats as well. So uh Yeah. I guess that's all I can say about it. That you can't, the text does not say God instructs Eve directly, but she knows the commandment. So she must know it somehow. I've, I sense behind this question though, also, uh, you know, there's this long, long, long history of interpretation of Eve that is not fair. <laughs> that is really <laughs> bad, right? Like uh, I think of yeah. St. Augustine who, Otherwise, I, I, I love a lot of Augustine, but he really places a lot of blame on Eve uh, for sin, you know, for sin entering into the world. And yeah, I don't think that this story uh, can bear all of that weight, right? It's not Eve's fault. Uh, it, she she bears some responsibility, certainly, and so does Adam, but it's not completely her fault uh, that, that, yeah of disobeying this command. I remember in college, one of my uh, professors said something like, uh, you know, if, if people say uh, woman was the last created and the first to sin, then you should respond uh, to that, you know, to that criticism. You should respond, woman is the last at the crucifixion and the first at the resurrection. Right. So there's, yeah, you can't, yeah, you can't lay the blame for sin or evil uh, on the step of any uh, of, you know, half the human race and not the other half. Right. Right. Yeah. Good. Which I think leads to our third question um, quite nicely, uh, which is um, what does the Bible say about female CEOs where male employees are working for them. And my 
fast answer is absolutely nothing because there was no such thing as female CEOs in antiquity. Well, there's CEOs no such thing in as- general, <laughs> exactly. No CEOs, CEOs in general yeah. are quite a recent development. Yes. So the answer to that is the Bible says nothing about it. However, <laughs> like you were noting, the question behind the question, yeah. what I hear behind this question has to do with female authority. And does the Bible say that women can't lead men? I think that's kind of yeah. more the question right. that right. this person is asking. And as we are both um, ordained pastors and also women, I think we have some thoughts about that yes. question. Actually, we before we hit record... Um, we were laughing a little bit. Like, does this come from the female CEO? Does this question <laughs> come from the female CEO or from the male employee under the female CEO <laughs> who is trying to find some excuse for not being. To not have to listen to not, it. Yeah, right. not listening to yeah. it. But anyway, uh, thank you for the question. But yes, it, this is, it's a huge topic and probably we well, we certainly can't do uh, justice to it, especially in a lightning round where we uh, are uh, coming towards the end of our time. But um, so, yes, there are some texts, particularly in the New Testament, uh, about female authority. We'll just mention a couple of them Ephesians, in Ephesians 5, uh, 22 through 30 in particular. This is part of uh, the household codes, as is First Timothy 2, uh, especially verse 12, um, and, uh, you know, that women shouldn't, basically the gist is women should not be in authority over men, uh, particularly in the church, particularly also in the household. Uh, so uh, what do we do with that? Uh, and as Katie said, both she and I are ordained female pastors in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. I grew up in a Lutheran church body that does did not and still does not ordain women, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Uh, I left the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod because I felt a call to ordination. Um, and I thank the ELCA for accepting me, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, so, I, yeah, I've dealt with this in my own uh, life as well. Um, and there's there's lots of good writing on this, lots of good uh, um, good scholarship. Uh, let's just mention a few things. One is that uh, there are lots of examples of female leadership in Scripture itself. Uh, or not, I should say, I said lots, but there's there's a significant amount. Even though obviously both in the Old Testament and New Testament, it's a patriarchal culture, but there are women who take leadership. So one that comes to mind for me as an Old Testament scholar is uh, Huldah. Huldah is a female prophet uh, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 22. We don't know much about her at all, but uh, what we do know is that King Josiah, who's really one of the uh, best kings in in Israel's history, and uh, he's a king of the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, Josiah uh, consults Huldah about a theological matter uh, or about a about an important matter. The book uh, he he um, authorizes uh, a kind of um, 
uh, upgrading of the temple or a, a, what's the word I want, a renewal of the temple. And as that's happening, uh, the book of the law is discovered, uh, which is probably some form, uh, some core of the book of Deuteronomy. And so Josiah, King Josiah doesn't know what to do. And so he goes to consult Huldah, the prophetess, uh, the, the female prophet, and she tells him, uh, instructs him on what he should do. And there doesn't seem to be any issue, right? There's no big deal made of that, that this prophet, particular prophet, is a woman. Um, and she... That she's telling the king what to yeah, do, exactly. and the king's like, "Okay, yeah, I'll obey. I'll obey you." Right. The yeah, I mean that that's certainly an an example of female authority uh, over not just a CEO uh, but a king. So that's one example. Uh, I would also mention Lydia in the New Testament, and uh, there's lots of other examples uh, of this. Um, but Lydia in Acts chapter. 16 uh, is 16. a dealer in purple cloth, which in the ancient world or in the New Testament world is very expensive, very expensive uh, textiles. Uh, and a dealer in purple cloth would be uh, a woman of means or a person of means. Uh, and she listens to uh, uh, to Paul, uh, Paul's preaching uh, and Paul's companions, and she uh, converts, she becomes a Christian. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. So much like many of the women who surrounded Jesus uh, in the gospels and supported him in his ministry, so Lydia also supports Paul uh, in his ministry and has her whole household uh, baptized. She has authority over all those in her household. Uh, so she's a, a woman of some material means uh, who is, is uh, yeah, is uh, important in the early church. She might be the best equivalent we have of a CEO in the Bible. Yeah, <laughs> and actually, she happens to be a woman. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it doesn't say her um, husband is the is the merchant. She's right, the merchant. Right, She's the right. business. She woman. is. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, there, and there's lots of, there's also lots of places where women are instructed to, to teach, to prophesy, to lead. Um, uh, so again, this sort of comes back to how do we read the Bible? How do we read these texts? And, and sort of we were talking about in that first question, um, you know, uh, when we're, um, wrestling a blessing, one thing I tell folks when they are struggling with something is to read the Bible in conversation with the Bible. Yeah, <laughs> so you yeah. have here, right, we don't have to be afraid if there are um, seeming contradictions in the text, um, that that's okay, because it is a conversation. The Bible itself is yeah. a bunch of different books from a long time in, you know, lots of different people in, in different cultural contexts and historical periods. And so here, there are, there are conversations, there are contradictions, and that's part of what it is to be faithful and to wrestle with the text and to wrestle with our tradition and to wrestle with the faith is we put those things in conversation and we and we ask questions about you know well what could be going on here what could be going on there and like Catherine said there's there's great scholarship that would talk about um, how these particular um, 
passages that seem to say that 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 women should be silent uh, are probably pretty culturally bound pretty yeah. specific aren't necessarily meant uh, weren't intended to be read as like broadly applicable for all time but right. we're like dealing with a very particular situation and a very particular time and place with a particular set of problems yeah. that were arising right then and there and mm-hmm. and similar to you know, how we might read Leviticus now or other texts that are, we don't necessarily cross apply every single thing that was ever said and, and like try to like follow all those things, right? Because um, because we look at the broader thrust of scripture and can read different texts in conversation with each other and say, oh, okay, you know, that's part of what the discernment process is. It's part of what wrestling with the text is. Um, and that's part of what living faithfully is to like have some of those questions and to to be in dialogue with 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 the bible even as the bible is in dialogue with itself yeah yeah Uh, excellent point katie i i think um that that metaphor of a conversation is really helpful that that the bible itself is a conversation between different voices and there's an ongoing conversation both within scripture and about scripture through the centuries uh, you know, I mentioned Saint Augustine earlier in this podcast. He's part of; he's one of those voices, but he's not the only voice. Um, I, I think the other point that you made, I think, is worth emphasizing again too that a lot of these instructions are kind of culturally bound. So there are other texts in the New Testament that talk about women should keep their hair covered, right, in in worship. Well. I know there are churches that take that very literally, very, you know, small churches that take that literally, but uh, you have to uh, remember that though scripture is word of God, it is also from a particular time and a particular place, especially in those instances where it talks about particular customs. So if women didn't have, uh, you know, had their hair uncovered, that would be a scandal, right, to the wider culture and the, the message of the gospel would be obscured by that, uh, you know, by that, um, by people being offended uh, by that custom. So Paul says, you know, uh, should, to take an entirely different example, should you eat meat offered to idols, right? Uh, and he says, sure, no problem, right? You can eat meat offered to idols, but, right, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But if it causes your brother or sister to stumble in their own faith, if they're so offended by that practice, then just don't do it, right? Uh, right. Uh, take care of your, uh, you know, the sensibilities uh, of your of your siblings uh, in Christ. So yeah. I see a lot of these instructions in, for instance, in Ephesians and First Timothy, in that way, right? The, it, the kind of that was then and this is now. That you know, to, for a woman to have authority over a man. Uh, in the household or in church might have seemed, uh, would have been so against societal norms uh, that it would have caused people not to actually hear the gospel. Uh, that's how that's how I read it. So another really important text uh, before we leave this topic is uh, from Galatians 3. Uh, let's start in verse 27. So Paul writes, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ, There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Uh, 
there's these divisions, right? Divisions in the ancient world, divisions in today's world. And the ancient world is between Jew and Greek or Gentile. Greek was a term used for kind of non-Jews. Slaves and free people, um, male and female, very hierarchical society. We have some of those divisions or similar divisions in today's world, right? Uh, So in Christ, though, all are one. Uh, those divisions don't matter anymore. It's not that they disappear. There are still, uh, you know, God seems to delight in diversity uh, and in different sorts of people and different ethnicities and all of that. Those divisions don't disappear, but they aren't the most important thing. The most important thing is Uh being a, a, a disciple of Jesus, a child of God, uh, being called by God, clothed in Christ, uh, and free uh, in Christ uh, to be who God has called you to be uh, and to be in community with one another. So uh, in uh, in Christ, there is no slave or free. There is no male or female because all are one in Christ. And that's where we find our basic identity um, in, in all of these questions of identity. So uh, hopefully that gets at some of the question behind the question. A little bit, yeah. Cool. Paul certainly also, even though he speaks about um, sometimes in beautiful ways like that in Galatians, sometimes in more hierarchical ways, he also uh, instructs people to respect authority. Uh, I think that's another kind of general thing we can say uh, about Paul. So if you have a female CEO, show her the respect uh, that she uh, has earned by her position and her hard work. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been a, a, a rich conversation and appreciate all of the wonderful questions that you have submitted. Um, thank you for being a part of Enter the Bible, um, for sending in questions and listening and watching on YouTube. Uh, I invite you to head over to enterthebible.org f- to continue the conversation and to explore more about the Bible and submit your own questions. And of course, um, if you uh, enjoy this podcast, if you think it's worthwhile, please um, subscribe, uh, leave us a review on iTunes, um, and share the podcast with a friend.